So today we're going to be talking about leadership. So Pastor Todd kicked off a uh, uh, sermon series, our sermon series last week called I Love the Church. And today we are going to talk about church leadership and to kind of get us in that thought range, I came up with some strange facts about presidents. Um, and so I will let you guys have a guess, but I doubt any of you know any of these. So anyway, um, if you do, you get big points. All right. So this president was a model for Cosmopolitan, appearing in a cover illustration he posed for in 1942. He also met his wife through modeling. Anybody have a guess? Reagan? Okay. No. Gerald Ford. Okay. All right. You're 0 for 1. All right. Uh, this president had a lot of pets, including horses, cats, dogs, guinea pigs, lizards, a badger, a snake named Emily Spinach, and a bear named Jonathan Edwards. Okay. Teddy Roosevelt. You're right. Yep. Okay. You guys do know some of this. All right. <laughs> this president was pulled over and fined twenty dollars for exceeding the speed limit or the Washington speed limit while on a horse. <laughs> Any guesses? Ulysses S. Grant. <laughs> this president as sheriff, so before he was president, uh, personally carried out two hanging sentences to save his district some money. Any guesses? Who was the sheriff before they were president? Grover Cleveland. All right. This president had a dog named Satan. <laughs> Any guesses? It's actually John Adams. I was a little surprised about that. But <laughs> uh, this president wrote a children's book called The Little Baby Snoogle Fleeger. I think that about a young boy growing up in poverty who meets an unusual deep, deep sea creature. Any guesses? All right, that was Jimmy Carter. All right, I think I have one or two more. This president was a tailor in Tennessee before launching his political career. And even after he became president, he made his own clothes. Any guesses? Andrew Johnson. Now, some of you might be thinking, I don't even you know these guys were presidents. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, this president's middle name was just S. His middle name was a compromised initial denoting both of his grandfathers. Okay, good. <laughs> Harry S. Truman. Yep. Uh, and this is the last one. This president's favorite snack was cottage cheese with ketchup. <laughs> What's that? Somebody know? Anybody guess? Anybody actually like Spawnet? Okay, there we go. We got... We got you're like-hearted with Mr. Richard Nixon. <laughs> All right. Um, but we are in a series, starting a series called I Love the Church. And so last week, Pastor Todd kind of gave us an overview. And he started off by saying the goal is to look at the passages of Scripture in the New Testament um, that capture the beauty, wonder, and mystery of the church. And to challenge our thinking and understanding of the uniqueness of the group that God has called here to North Anvil Bible Church. 
And then he proceeded to call some of you guys strange, which I'll refrain from this week. But anyway, um, we are a people come from all kinds of backgrounds, and we may have very little in common other than our relationship with God. And it's amazing how God does works with people to do that. I mean, this, this church is unique, but it's not unique in its uniqueness. Every church has, every church of, of God um, has in itself a unique group of people that God has brought together through all different walks of life, all different kinds of backgrounds. And, and so he, Pastor Todd also went on to say that the church is precious to God in the primary way he expects us to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. And so as God has brought us together from all different kinds of backgrounds and histories and whatnot, he has brought us together to be a unique group in order to grow, in order to become more like Christ. And so this is this unique group called the local church, which the, the Greek word ekklesia means. It means a local gathering and God has specifically called us here to this church. If you are a regular here, if you call North Anvil Bible Church your home. And so PT kind of laid the foundation for it last week. And this week we're going to continue on. And we're going to begin by talking about God's household management. Um, because anytime, anytime we have a, you have a new entity or company or group that is formed, that one of the first questions out of your mouth is who is in charge. All right. And so before we open our Bibles and dive into this, let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you uh, for your word, how precious and valuable it is to us. Lord, we just ask right now that as we look into your word, Lord, that you might uh, illumine our hearts. Lord, open our hearts, our spiritual eyes to see from your word what it is you would have us to learn. Lord, as we focus on your church here, not just the uni universal church, which is all Christians everywhere, but the local church here at North Anvil, Lord, help us to understand uh, our role in the each and everyday life of this church, in the growing of this church, in the mission of this church. So, God, we, we ask again that you just um, enlighten us today. Help it to be for your honor and glory. We pray this in your name. Amen. If you want to turn to the book of Colossians, uh, we're going to be in Colossians chapter 1. And while you're turning there, I'm just going to reiterate what I was saying. Anytime we have a new entity or company or, or group that is formed, one of the first questions that you ask is, who is in charge, right? Uh, if you're looking to invest into a company or get involved or donate to a charitable group, you usually want to know who is running it so that if you have some idea that your investment or your work or your time or your money is going to be used well. In 1919, an Italian immigrant opened a business in, in Boston, and he promised 50% returns on, on, the, on those who would invest in his company. But when he got into it, he realized that the logistics of his business weren't going to work out. And so what he did was when new investors would come along, he'd take their money, and then he'd go give it to the old investors saying, hey, here's, what your, here's your payout, here's your payout, all right? And then in 1920, his operation, 
came under investigation and his fraud was exposed and the man named Charles Ponzi was arrested. All right, this is where we get the term Ponzi scheme. When somebody tries to take from one person to give to another person to make that person think that, oh, I'm making money here. And then somebody else gives some money and he gives it back to this person. All right, if we're getting involved in a group, it's important to know who is leading it. So today we're going to ask three questions. Who is in charge? Talking, talking, addressing the church, talking about the church. Who is in charge? Why is he in charge? And so what if he is in charge? All right. So when it comes to the church, who is in charge? It's an easy question, God. Right? This is the easy, the easy question is, well, the, the, the sign says, um, <laughs> no, but, but we all know. <laughs> you, <laughs> that was a joke. We all, you all know. <laughs> all right. As, as growing up and being a part of this church, you know that Jesus, that God is in charge of this church. All right, so let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, if you're there. Um, Paul is writing to a local church in Colossae. And in chapter 1, he's telling them how he thanks God for the faith and ministry that they have. And he goes on to explain how he is praying for them to grow in godliness and live out that godliness in ways that bear fruit. All right, and so Paul is writing here to this church, encouraging them. And in verse 15, Paul gives us this amazing description of who Jesus is. He begins by saying, he, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. In the Old Testament, uh, nations during the Old Testament in ancient times, nations would make different images, different statues of, of their gods of what they thought their gods looked like, what their gods resembled. And so they made all different kinds of statues, some that were recognizable as different animals or, or things in nature, and some that were just kind of weird and kind of out there, different pieces of different animals and that sort of thing. But God specifically told his people, don't make images of me. I think it was the second commandment. He says, when Moses came to Mount Sinai and gave him the Ten Commandments, one of the top ones was, hey, don't make images of me. Because any image created to look like God couldn't completely explain God. It couldn't completely encapsulate who God was. If they made an image of a lion, boy, that, that, that would represent strength. And God is strong. But it couldn't, no image could in picture encapsulate everything that God was. And so God says, hey, there, don't make any images of me because it's just going to lead you the wrong way. You're just going to, you're going to end up worshiping that thing. And if you remember, immediately after leaving Egypt, while Moses was on Mount Sinai, what happened? The people of Israel uh, made an idol. Right? They collected all their gold together. Moses was up on the mountain. They're like, oh, we don't know what happened to Moses. Uh, what are we going to do? We need somebody to lead us. Uh, we need something to worship. We need a God, you know, that sort of thing. And so they took, collected all their gold. They melted it down and they created a cow, right? Uh, they created a golden cow and they said, this is the God that brought us out of Egypt. Um, so... A little, first of all, side note, a little relationship advice. If you're dating, um, this is my relationship advice. Don't ever compare somebody you admire to a, a cow. Uh, it just, it won't end well. All right, don't sit them down and say, you know what, I'm going to sketch you, but, but as if you were some sort of uh, beast, some sort of cow, animal. 
um, that just that wouldn't go over well in any sort of relationship. And I don't know why the people of Israel thought that this was a good idea. To this is what God looks like, um, but that's what they came up with, and and they quickly um, got in trouble for it. Right? Uh, Moses came down and said, "Okay, what's what's going on here?" And he took care of the problem. But God. Then that's why God said, do not make any images of me. But as we come to the New Testament and Jesus comes to earth, this is how Paul describes to the Colossians who Jesus is. He says he is the image of that invisible God, that invisible God that you've been worshiping for so long, that invisible God that in the Old Testament said, don't make images of me. Just listen to my voice. Follow what I say. All right. He came in human form. And that's who Jesus is. All right, he, he goes on, Paul goes on to say, he is the firstborn of all creation, meaning that he had special rights and privileges of the firstborn son, specifically of like a son of a king who would inherit ruling the kingdom or all that was his father's, all that belonged to God, the father. Jesus was that firstborn who inherited everything. Not only that, but he was also the one who created everything. Look at verse 16 and following. He says, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And verse 17 says, And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. All right, so not only is Jesus um, the image, the very spitting image of God, who he was, not only is he the one that inherits everything, but he's also the one that created everything. All right, everything that we see, God created, Jesus created. He was the one who was the creator. All right, not only that, but Paul says he's also the one that holds it all together. You know, there, if you think about it for a moment, there are a lot of things that God needs to hold together. All right, for once, our, our body, right? Our body could just fall apart easily, right? As we get older, sometimes, it, you know, you feel like you do. You're falling apart. Um, but God's the one that holds, Jesus is the one that holds everything together. He holds the stars in place. He holds the weather where it's at. He controls all of that. And so Paul is painting this amazing picture of who Jesus is. If anybody in, in Colossae had some sort of low view of Jesus as if, hey, he's just some other guy who, who did some good things. All right. They're getting their minds blown right now because he is describing Jesus as the most amazing person, the most amazing God that you could ever imagine. And as we come through this passage, we get to verse 18 where he says this. Paul says in verse 18, he says, and he is the head of the body the church. All right. So in the midst, midst of all this great passage about Jesus, and it will continue on, Paul puts this in there and it's almost like, well, you almost feel like, I mean, that seems a little bit small. I mean, Jesus has just talked about all his power, how great he is. And now he just, just put him in charge of this little church. Well, okay. But, but here Paul is describing just how important Jesus is to our church. Uh, <coughs> Paul uses this illustration as the head and the body multiple times in his writing. It can also be found in Romans and in 1 Corinthians and in Ephesians. In fact, the passage 
in Ephesians is similar. It says this, it says, God put all things under his, under Jesus' feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. There are several themes that emerge from the teaching of Christ as head of the, of the body. Paul instruct, Paul's instruction on Christ as head of the body highlights the idea of both his authority over the body and his provision for the body. So Christ being head of the church, head of the body, means he has the authority over the church, right? He has the, the precedent to, make, to set rules, and who better than Jesus, the one who created it all, to do so? to give guidance, to give direction. We look to his leadership for, when we, for what we teach, for what we sing, and for how we live. You know, when we're preparing to preach or teach here at the church, we don't just try to be culturally relative, um, be entertaining, or just, hey, whatever gets people in and fills the seats. We, we look to accurately relay God's word to God's people, to those who are listening. When we prepare music, all right, we're not just looking again to entertain. We're not just looking to get groovy in the seats or weepy and teary-eyed, although sometimes that happens, all right. The, the main purpose is to speak and sing about the greatness of our God and his actions toward us. And when we leave the building here today or any day, all right, we're not looking to go out and to blend in with society. Uh, we're not looking to go out and, and increase our popularity. Our goal is to look and to live as Jesus lived. All this comes from him. And so we are instructed to be a light of the world, a living reflection of Jesus' words and actions. So Jesus is in charge. But our next question is, why? Why is he in charge? All right, and we've already read part of the answer in Ephesians because God appointed him so. And what better choice than the creator and sustainer of all things to be our leader? God placed Jesus, the author of creation, the one who created it all, as head over God's new creation, this group called the church that came together after Christ's death and resurrection. Not only has the Father appointed him to leadership, but Jesus also has provided for everything we need to be a church. All right, in the ancient world, uh, especially among first century medical writers, the head was seen as both the ruling part of the body and the source that provides nourishment and sustenance. And that's what Paul is picking up on here also. We find this idea in Ephesians 4:16 and Colossians 2:19 where they describe Christ as our head from whom the body derives what it needs to grow. Now, if you have small kids or work with small kids, uh, if you ever ask them, hey, you know, what do you want to eat? Most likely, they're 99% of the time, they're not going to describe a well-balanced meal, right? Okay, actually, if you ask me what I want to eat, I probably wouldn't describe a well-balanced meal. Um, in fact, in our house, we have this, this phrase that on Thursdays, pickles are vegetables. All right, and this is how that came about. So years ago, when we homeschooled our kids, um, Becca would work one day a week cleaning houses on Thursday on my day off. All right. So on Thursday, I was in charge of school. I was in charge of lunch. Okay. And so my lunch, our Thursday lunch consisted of chicken nuggets and French fries. 
All right, and, and one of the times the kids are like, well, we need some sort of vegetable. Okay, so I open up the fridge, and the first thing I see is what? The jar of pickles. All right, so that's what we get out. And so every Thursday we would have french fries, chicken nuggets, and pickles. All right, and so because pickles counted as our vegetable on Thursday. All right, no other day of the week but Thursday. All right, and so if you ask them about that, yes, we, they still remind me that Pickles count as vegetables on Thursday. But isn't it comforting to know that Christ as our leader knows that what we need, knows what we need and to grow and provides it for us. In the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6, when Jesus is talking about his, uh, his talking about prayer, he says this, uh, Matthew 6, 5, he says, and when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the streets, on the street corners, and they that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret and your father who is in secret will reward you openly. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. And then Jesus goes on to say, pray like this, and goes into the Lord's Prayer. And I think we talked about this a few weeks ago in Sunday school, uh, in our SALT session, um, this passage of how God knows what we need. All right, and, and specifically here was talking about prayer. All right, and don't, look, don't pray to get attention from others. All right, don't pray just so that others notice that you're praying, all right? Because God knows what we need. Uh, He knows what we need better than we do. And God has put Jesus in charge of the church so we can receive what we need from him. I think oftentimes when we think of of our church, it might be, you know, we have these ideas of we kind of know what we need from our church. But sometimes there might be some things that, well, we don't really need that. But Jesus knows what we do need. All right. Jesus knows that we need his word. Jesus knows that we need to grow in him. Jesus knows that we everything that we need out of our church. And so that's why he is in charge. As Colossians 2.19 says, he, uh, Jesus, the head from whom the whole body nourished, nourished and knit together, through its joints and ligaments, grow with a growth that is from God. Christ is the leader of the church because he is the only one who can provide what we truly need to grow and thrive. Now that leads us to a third question. So what if, if he is in charge? What does it mean that he is in charge. I think it was back in the 90s that we had this phrase, like, so what? You know, it was it was kind of a like a disrespectful phrase teenagers use, like, so what? Like, if you warned your friend, hey, your dad's not going to like your, your, you doing that, or you might get detention for doing that, and they would say, so what? It, it was a, kind of a rebellious, like, I don't really care what the consequences are. I'm going to do it sort of a thing. I don't know if many of you remember that from back in like the 90s or 80s and 90s, but that's not what we're talking about when we come to this question in church. Um, What we're talking about here is uh, we're not looking to be rebellious or in a carefree way, but it's an honest question because all of Scripture has bearing on our life. All right, this is something 
And there's something in this that God wants us to use to transform our attitudes and our actions. So when we ask, so what if Jesus is the leader of the church? We are honestly asking, how does this relate to me or relate to us as a church? What does this mean to us? All right, and for that, let's go back to see why Paul thought this was important for both the Colossians and the Ephesian churches. All right, let's begin in Colossians chapter 2, if you want to turn over there to Colossians chapter 2. I just read verse 19, but let's look back a little bit uh, into verse 16. He says, it says, Paul writes this in Colossians 2 verse 16. He says, therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in, in questions of food and drink. Or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath, these are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you insisting on asceticism or worship of angels, going on in details about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with a growth that is from God. So what, what, what is going on here? Paul is describing that there is a real danger here for the Colossians of being disconnected from the head. All right, disconnected from Christ. Now, before I display this next image, remember I'm a, I'm a children's pastor and a youth pastor, okay? All right, this is the image that came to my head. Let me just describe to you. This is Headless Bill um, from the Muppet movie, Muppet Treasure Island. All right, which in my personal opinion is the best rendition of Treasure Island. Um, but anyway, this is what I thought of when I was reading about the Colossians and Paul's warning, don't be disconnected from your head. All right, the Colossians were getting tripped up over ritualistic stuff, over worshiping of other beings rather than God alone. They were getting distracted. And Paul says, hey, don't get disconnected from your head like Headless Bill, all right? And so if you haven't seen that movie, go out and see it. It's one of the best movies I know, um, all right? In, in Ephesians, we find a similar warning. If you want to flip over just back a few pages probably in your Bible, unless you have a big, thick study Bible, um, a couple pages to Ephesians chapter 4. In Ephesians chapter 4, beginning with verse 14, we see again... Paul address, warning the Ephesian church. Ephesians 4.14 says, So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speak the truth in love. We are to grow up in every way into him who is our head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined together held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. And so Paul here is, is saying, keep following Jesus, keep learning from him, keep acting more and more like him so that you don't look like a giant head with a tiny body. All right. Speaking of presidents again, I think that's Calvin Coolidge. All right. This is the Washington Nationals. They like to do a president's race with the big head presidents. They do that at their baseball games. But this is what I thought of. Um, Paul is saying, hey, make sure you continue to grow like Jesus. Don't just 
don't just um, come to Christ and stop. All right, and say, hey, I, I'm good. I, you know, I'm I'm going to heaven. I'm good. I'm just going to ha- come hang out at church every Sunday and do that. He says, keep growing. Keep learn. Keep uh, learning to love each other. Keep uh, becoming more like Christ, because you don't want to look as a church like that. Our responsibility as a church is to grow into the fullness of Christ, to become just like Him. So that when people look at our church, they see us, uh, us serving like Jesus, praying like Jesus, and loving like Jesus. And so Paul's application uh, to this picture is don't get distracted and keep growing. Colossian church, don't get distracted and keep growing. Church at Ephesus, don't get distracted, keep growing. All right? North Anvil Bible Church, don't get distracted, keep growing growing. There are many things that can distract a church. There are many things that can keep the church from growing. So it is important for us to remember our head, our church leader, Jesus Christ, and focus on his priorities, on his instructions, on his example. If we are going to be a church that doesn't get disconnected from its head and grow into that head to be a fully functional and useful church for God in our community, don't get distracted keep growing that's what christ or that's what paul was telling these two churches hey jesus is your head he's the one in charge all right here's your responsibility all right follow after him continue after him um if you want to turn over to revelation chapter 2 we're going to be going into our communion service in just a little bit and but before we do um, turn over to Revelation chapter two, because Jesus once again speaks to this church at Ephesus. In Revelation chapter two, uh, verses two through the beginning of verse five, he says this. He says, and this is Jesus. Uh, speaking to the church of Ephesus, he says, I know your works, your toil and your patient endurance and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake and you have not grown weary. So in other words, he said, you're, you're testing people. You're testing people that are trying to come in and what they're teaching uh, to make sure it's up to par with Scripture, and that is great. All right. Um, and verse 4 starts, But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you have at first. And the beginning of verse 5 says, Remember, therefore, where you have fallen, repent and do the works that you did at first. And so commentators believe that this means that they had lost their early love for Christ and one another. You know, and it almost makes sense because when we start being critical, which is important, being critical of what's trying to come in, right? If some sort of false teaching, if some somebody's trying to lead you astray, yeah, you want to you want to put up a wall there. But sometimes we tend to easily then put up walls and we stop loving each other. Uh, we stop loving Christ. And Christ is saying, hey, I'm, I'm commending you guys on keeping out the false teaching, 
on staying true to the word of God. But something has happened to the love in here. He's saying the room, this auditorium in Ephesus, you know, something's happened to the love that you have for each other and that you have for Christ. And Jesus is saying, hey, repent. We got to turn back. We got to get back to where we were in the beginning, to our love for our leader, for our head. All right, church, we must look to our leadership, Jesus Christ, and follow his lead in our attitudes and actions, our service for one another, our love for the lost, and our compassion for the community. That's why it's important for us to know who is the head of the church, who is the head in God's, the management in God's household. Let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer.